And we're back from a non-sabbatical sabbatical on which everybody had lots of momming and woman-y type shit to do. So, <laughs> hey guys, what up? We didn't forget about you. We hope you didn't forget about us. I've heard from several of the tens of you, and I think you haven't. We're here this week. I'm Kim. This is... The Patriarchy Hurts Everyone. I'm Anne. I'm Emily. And this week we have a very special guest, Dr. Janelle from... Ball State University, who is a professor in social work, and she's going to drop some knowledge today. We're here to talk about something super fun that everyone loves to talk about all the time at parties, intimate partner abuse. (laughs) So fun. Fun. Okay, good. I'm glad we got that out of the way. It's the truth. It's what we're going to talk about. There's a lot to be said. There's a lot to be said in the past. There's a lot to be said that's happening. There's a lot that every woman at this table has experienced, even though I don't know deep, dark details of any of it yet. Um, We're grateful that you've joined us. We are going to go deep-ish. That sounds... I mean, she is from Ball State. Balls deep. I was just going to say, balls deep deep. with Ball State. I feel good about it. I feel really good. Put it on a bumper sticker. Hashtag. Hashtag balls balls deep deep at Ball Ball State. I'm totally fine with I'm that. Sure I'm sure you've Ball never State is on board. Before. Right. Never. I so, haven't, actually. Really? <laughs> I haven't. I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the students you talk about it. You guys have to get it together. It. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Got to fix that. Uh, maybe there could be a bumper sticker. Like, my kid is balls deep at Ball State. Yes. <laughs> I will make I that shit. You know were, I will. Yes, she will. She's, it's not untrue. <laughs> She's excellent at making stickers. I like to make things. All right. Mm-hmm. So since we're already laughing about it, I'll just lead with a question and or topic how do we feel about the joke of wife beating oh you mean the hilarious that shirt that's called wife beater well there's that yeah mm-hmm. you can start us off there it's hilarious that there's a shirt called wife beater right yeah it's a uniform mm-hmm. that yeah. you wear when you beat your wife <laughs> see right and we're <laughs> laughing <laughs> we're la- well we, and I, like that's what i'm saying right um because there it's are so insane it's horrible yeah i mean and it's uh it's not an uncommon joke i mean everybody here can go oh i don't know what that means but we've all heard jokes about like well why don't you just hit her <laughs> man to a woman or i don't know man to a man that's not something i hear as much but you're not man. <laughs> I, I'm not. And I <laughs> hang out with a lot of man-on-man relationship people. But I, I just think that these things kind of get bandied about. And I wonder how much of that is the patriarchy. Mm. Um, all, all of it. Correct. <laughs> Ding. You will get a prize Ding. for $5 billion. <laughs> if only. That would be awesome. Yeah. But Janelle, how did you decide to go into social work? Okay, how did I, social work wasn't the first job that I had or the first career. Before I was in social work, I was um, in school for literature, actually, and that's mm-hmm. actually where I met Anne. Truth. I've known Anne for a long time, for 20 years at least. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was really interested in the human condition, mm-hmm. and I realized I, that... Um, I wanted to interact with actual people and not just books. Um, So for a while I was teaching like English 101, 105, whatever it was called at different various community colleges. And I noticed that every time I was teaching a course in writing, I would give it some sort of social justice focus. I naturally tended toward that and the assigned readings and the topics and things that I would do. And at that point I realized that I was wanting to do a little more than just teach people how to write essays or whatever. Um, so I started to think about a career change because I felt like I was just stuck in that job. And so I, I had a friend who was a social worker and she was working with foster youth mm-hmm. and they needed people to work part-time in the office and they needed people to write these um, foster care um, certification reports. So mm-hmm. when people get certified as foster parents, they have to go to, through a really rigorous um, home study where basically someone has to come to their house and learn everything about them and ask them all these deep personal questions, um, and not just one visit, many visits, and write up this really long report, which is basically everything about their life to make sure that they're fit to be parents to foster children, who are typically Mm -hmm. children who have experienced a lot of trauma and are very vulnerable. So um, 
my friend kind of brought me on board, <clears throat> excuse me, in that organization um, because she knew I had good writing skills and also empathy and was interested in social work. Um, and so at that point, I became very interested in um, the issues that the children were experiencing and the type of people who were willing to pretty much give up a large chunk of their life to help these children. And um, at that point, I decided to go back to school. So I just mm -hmm. kept staying in school until I couldn't be in school any longer. <laughs> and then uh, that's when Live I became in the a dream. Professor, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you could still stay in school. Right. Technically, I'm still in school. Holla. I love it there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, how do you get from foster care to inter intimate partner, partner violence, violence, which is where you're um, focused? So the actual practice work that I did was um, not in the area of intimate partner violence until I started doing research on that topic. Mm -hmm. So as a master's student, so when I was getting my master's in social work, my MSW is what it's called, um, we had to take two research classes and I love those classes. And most of the people, or most of the other students, my peers were not very interested in the research courses because they were there to do the frontline work, the um, direct practice, the working, um, you know, as I said, in the front lines. Um, the research class to me though was one of the most interesting classes I had taken so far in the program. And I thought they were very interesting, but I was just really- What kind of things did you do in your research class? Well, we had to write papers. So it's not so much what we did, but it was what the readings. Mm -hmm. the, so just reading about research was exciting to me. And I'm pretty sure most of my peers um, were not um, as enthralled as I was. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I was really interested in research. We would do activities where we would look at um, a study, like a research study, for example, and deconstruct it and look at um, who funded the study, who authored it, what mm -hmm. is their affiliation, and then also look at um, where did the study originate from, what is the research question, just going back to um, the basics and seeing how um, all the decisions that were made along the way and understanding how that affect the outcome and then of course the reporting and um, understanding that even though research is supposed to be objective, and we'd like to say that, quantitative <laughs> research is objective. Turns out it's that. run by humans. Sure. <laughs> it's a very human endeavor. So um, that was all just very interesting to me. And so... Didn't you end up working for a professor so, who right, was yeah. doing research on intimate so my, partner my violence? my research professor um, noticed that I had an interest in research, mm -hmm. and she was looking for a research assistant a student and so I agreed to work with her and I was very excited and I said what is your area of research I remember when I asked her that mm -hmm. and I was excited thinking well it could be anything I mean as social workers we study all kinds of social problems that we're trying to solve um, and she when she said intimate partner violence I was honestly a little bummed <laughs> because <laughs> I felt like <laughs> I knew I was going to be devoting the next couple of years yeah. probably to working with her and really getting um, elbows deep in this topic. Balls and deep. Balls deep. Balls deep. <laughs> yeah. balls deep. Ball state. Now I'm balls deep at Ball State. Um, it might be the only thing we can laugh about on this episode, so it's going to no, happen. Whatever it takes. A lot. <laughs> and social work is a depressing field. Honestly, yeah. it can be. I, I teach the Social Work 100 class, which is the mm. introduction to social work at Ball State. And, um, sorry, balls deep. I can't <laughs> up, guys. <laughs> I have like the maturity of a 12 year old boy. Same. <laughs> so you teach, the, you teach the <laughs> 100 class. Yes. Um, and a, a lot of students. Do you just are, watch their faces fall? Do you just start talking and they're like, right they take it because they they want to um you know help solve the world's problems but mm -hmm. i think they don't even understand what the world's, the world's problems, problems are <laughs> <laughs> and the right. you know and I, and, and even not. how Sorry. things work you know or how decisions are made or you know they're they're so young some of them you know they're mm -hmm. 18 and they're coming from high school and some are from the suburbs and it's it's just you know and and i'm not like I'm not trying to diminish their experience. No, it's uh, it's just the, one of those impossible gaps. Right, right. And it's, 
and and some of those students really have been through a lot and so um you know and that's why they're interested in social work and other people just have this really um other students that are drawn to social work have a really big heart and they just want to help and they're they're naturally sensitive to begin with so when you bring them into the field and start talking about all the problems and and what exists out there in the world that they haven't really been exposed to yet i think it is really difficult and a lot of students halfway through when i ask for feedback will say that the class is depressing and they don't mm-hmm. want to do social work. Yeah. <laughs> and that's great. That's great to it know. It is I great. Them, Good to figure that out. Bye. Yeah. There's, there's there are a lot of things to do. Yeah. Yeah. You can help people other ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of burnout in social work. Yeah. So, you know, it, if you're burnt out by social work 100, then it's yeah. good to go. It's a, it's clear. Follow, follow that lead. Yeah. <laughs> follow that lead. Yeah. Right. Jeez. Um, yeah, I was so, a psych major until statistics, and I was like, nope, bye. Right. <laughs> so I did not pass that test either. Mm-hmm. So what was your kind of window into this world, Janelle? Like, what made you feel like, I I have a vested interest? This relates to me. So this is an interesting story um, from my personal life. When I was 14 years old, a freshman in high school, I learned that one of my friends from middle school, well, actually, I'd known him since second grade, um, that he had been murdered by his father, and it was he and his mother were murdered. And they lived maybe like six streets away from us. Um, And I'd gone to school with him, like I said, since second grade. He had been my boyfriend in sixth grade, so whatever that's worth. Um, He was my first kiss. Um, A really sweet kid, just goofy, kind of the class clown. Um, and then we lost touch in seventh grade because he went to go live with an aunt, um, four states away. And I never really understood that, but it just seemed normal because it was like, oh, well, his parents are sending him to live with an aunt four states away. That's what the grown up said is going to happen. Right. Yeah. And he was Mm -hmm. a perfectly, um, you know, good kid, well behaved, um, keep talking I'm yeah. gonna get the gold so he was well behaved <laughs> um so it's it's not like he was a behavior problem and they were shipping him off yeah they were just shipping him off um but at the time we were just like okay well bummer bye and, send you know, me a postcard yeah. right and, yeah um and by the time he came back to live with his parents which were his mom and his stepdad so this mm-hmm. was his stepdad um we were already in high school and I kind of heard that he'd moved back but didn't didn't really see him. I think I saw him around the neighborhood maybe a couple of times. Anyhow, we got word that um, he had been killed, and it was devastating, as you can imagine. And we went to the funeral, and that was devastating. <sighs> and then it was just kind of over, and no one really talked about it. No one processed it with us as children. Um, no one said the words domestic violence. Yeah. Um, it, it just mm-hmm. was sort of something that happened. Swept under the rug. Yeah. And um, so the interesting thing is that I didn't think about it after that. I didn't yeah. process anything, and it was just sort of like this is a thing that happened. And then when this professor approached me to be her research assistant, and I learned that her topic was intimate partner violence. And I was somewhat bummed by that, as I said. And I was mm-hmm. thinking, I don't really have a connection to this. I'm not interested in this. It wasn't until I'd been working with her for probably at least a semester at that time. I was at a conference, a local conference for domestic violence or intimate partner violence. And um, I can't remember exactly what the speaker was saying, but there was a speaker talking about domestic violence and um, brought up family homicide and it just dawned on me, I hadn't even made that connection uh, yeah. that, that I had actually... Um, I've experienced this. Yeah, I know or, what this or, is. Yeah, as, as a bystander. Wow. And at that point, um, I, it, it was interesting, you know, that whole semester getting familiarized with the topic, I had read so much and learned about risk factors, red flags. Um, the woman that I worked for, the professor at Arizona State University, she had done a postdoc with um, Jackie Campbell, who works at Johns Hopkins Mm. in the nursing department. And Jackie Campbell um, created the danger assessment, which is a tool that she started um, working on it in the 80s. And it's since had a couple of different revisions. But 
it's the main tool in this country and in the world really for attempting to predict a woman's risk for homicide or near homicide being victimized in that way. Um, And Jackie Campbell has done so much work on this. So by working with my mentor, the professor I was working for, I learned about all these signs and the correlations between um, risk for intimate partner homicide being victimized by it. And I started to think back in my experience with this um, young man and what I knew about him. And it was crazy how everything just lined up. And suddenly it was like, wow, there were so many red flags, so many things going on. Can you talk us through what those specifically are? Because for me, having had my own experience with intimate partner violence and Mm -hmm. knowing so many young women, uh, Mm -hmm. whether that's our age or younger that Mm -hmm. are students, I think it's easy to put it away Mm -hmm. from you. And I think when you actually hear them, it can be really beneficial. So would you mind kind of outlining those for us? Absolutely. Um, And by the way, this story I did, I I wrote up and it was published um, in... Let's see. I believe the actual published date is 2011 in um, a journal called Qualitative Inquiry. Great. We'll put that on the website. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's um, an autoethnography is mm-hmm. the method. Um, <laughs> don't want to get too far off You topic. can't see her face, but she's smirking because she knows that that's a lot of words and syllables. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what that is, but it right. sounds amazing. Super impressive. She's smart, y'all. She's balls deep in that smartness at Ball State. <laughs> Education. <laughs> Ethnography is a fancy word for what anthropologists would do when they would go study other cultures. And we don't do this anymore. Well, <laughs> I guess we do this, but not in the same it's way. It's a fancy word for what anthropologists do. Like, I'm just going right. to let yeah. that be. Just <laughs> hang out there with that. Well, you know, the people in the, oh yeah, I don't know, a century ago who would like travel to the heart of the jungle and yeah. live with the tribe for... <laughs> you know, a decade or so and study the tribe and come back and tell everyone about what was going on there. Um, We don't do that so much anymore, except for we do it with different cultures and situations as social sciences, social scientists, excuse me. Um, And autoethnography is an inquiry into your own life and your own situation. Yeah. So when I wrote this piece about um, this experience I had had as a child and then the experience of then becoming an intimate partner violence researcher and remembering that experience I'd had as a child. What I did then was in this piece that I wrote, um, I looked through my experience, not as a child, but then as an intimate partner violence researcher. Mm. So I was able to um, go through some old um, photographs I had, newspaper articles, and even journal writings Um, for evidence, essentially, and memories to remember what had happened then. And like I said, I hadn't thought about it since then. Mm. Um, It was pretty thoroughly... Isn't that uh, incredible that such trauma can happen and that you just don't Don't process it? it? Well, you, you, I mean, it's amazing because you can't process it. And then you get back to a point where it's even harder unless you Mm -hmm. have that kind of what becomes evidence. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and the specific training that she had in order to even look at it, like imagine if you had never encountered this professor to work for. Right. If you had never had that experience, would you have ever processed it? (laughs) No. I just, that's a a tangent, but I just find that fascinating. Well, I mean, and I, I don't think it's a tangent. I think that's ultimately relatable to the audience because I think we all live our lives and think, well, this is just what is Mm -hmm. this is, especially depending on where you are in the country. I know where you're from, where I'm from. It was very much, well, that's just their family Mm -hmm. and that's how it happened. And it is. Mm -hmm. And there was no real, uh, there wasn't analysis coldness, but there was definitely no analysis. And there was a pretty strong understanding on the part of, the children, which I was at that point of, we're not going to ask a lot about this because the grownups are upset and something's off, but we don't get to know what it is. Mm-hmm. And they'll never even talk about it over drinks where we can listen. Like it's right. just yeah. gone. And when you're mm-hmm. a child, like that's, that's what reality is. Exactly. Right. You don't question it. And, and, and maybe when you get older, you see a movie and you go, Oh my yeah. God, that mm-hmm. was that weird thing. Those people down the street. Holy fuck. Yeah. 
if you're me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, how amazing that you were granted this rubric with mm-hmm. which to kind of assess something. Yeah. Big words. Yeah. I also Some teach of us are college also college professors. <laughs> No, but I am interested. Kim had asked for like the list of yeah. s- of yeah. warning signs, oh, yes. and I'm interested in that too. Mm-hmm. So, would you okay. share? Absolutely. Um, current and past violence is one of the largest predictors, which makes sense, right? If mm-hmm. there's been violence in the past, there is likely to be violence in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so, especially if it's escalating, another um, common risk factor is if there has been a recent separation. So if they're either it has, um, so for example, if we're talking about a man and a woman, um, if a woman has recently left her partner or threatened to leave, um, she is at most danger then. So this is something a lot of people may not realize. And so when you see someone who you think may be in a bad situation, you're like, just leave, just leave. It's actually not very good advice um, (laughs) because you don't know the situation around there. And someone could make their situation a lot more dangerous actually by leaving. Um, so as a social worker, you would never tell someone just leave. Um, you would say, you would ask about safety ask, yeah. and, and then say like, when, when do you think is a safe time to leave? You would make a safety plan, okay. um, which is basically a plan, um, of if, um, if I feel in danger, if some abuse starts to occur, what can I do? Mm-hmm. Um, and so things about, um, having an extra set of car keys somewhere, um, having um, maybe a code word or something that you might share with a friend if you needed some help, um, having important numbers somewhere, having um, being aware of where the exits are. Um, I've had women I've worked with, since then I actually have worked with women experiencing intimate partner violence. Sure. Um, uh, to a... Um, you know, more intense degree. And I've had women tell me that safety plans have saved their lives. So yeah. it's, it's a, it's a pretty, um, simple process to go through. It takes maybe an hour to sit down with someone and do a really thorough safety plan, mm-hmm. um, and talk through everything, but they really are lifesavers. So they're, they're important. Well, and it's one of those things that you can easily skip over when you're adrenally flooded with the fear Absolutely, and you, you feel like there's just no way. Right. But when you sit down and line it out, it's like a fire drill. Yeah. That's exactly I, what it is. I mean, to me, I uh, recently, as many Americans, binge watched uh, Big Little Lies. Mm-hmm. And it was so spectacular to me to see that there was an actual dialogue that occurred, that it wasn't just a presentation of a marriage wherein violence happened and both people were upset and the woman was obviously covering it, that she guided her through exactly what you're talking about. That which therapist was would so look beautifully written. Very different for, I would imagine, most of your clients and most, most people, you know, like that woman, that Nicole Kidman plays a very rich woman. And that's... Uh, a different circumstance. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say it's a better circumstance because when you are in the jaws of the beast, you're in the jaws of the beast. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it feels like. It is like a constant, I'm being watched. What am I going to do next? What's the thing? Mm -hmm. What did I not pay attention to? Oh God, you know, Mm -hmm. and like vigilance. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and to know that there is a way to seek assistance that can help you generate a plan because you do, you can't make that on your own when you're in that moment. Absolutely. You know what this reminds me of mm. is Sleeping with the Enemy Girl. with Julia Roberts, <laughs> which is an awesome movie. And I don't mean to make light of the situation, but she had a oh. plan. Well, I mean, in that, you know, I'm that that's there's a reason that we categorize those movies as awesome mm-hmm. because on some, I would say, tribal level, we know that that is a danger as women. Mm-hmm. And when you get to see a story play out, even something as horrific as Room. Right. No, that's there a is, really there good is example. There is a tremendous, um, just a sense of accomplishment mm-hmm. that's that's shared because you know that that has to happen. But you're the expert. I feel now I'm like, oh, I'm bringing up all this stuff. She now we're going to talk so about movies. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm, I also know that those are movies and that they are fallible and everything could always go a different direction. But mm-hmm. I I wanted to just kind of highlight the plan. The, what the point of making a plan with somebody who knows how to do that and mm-hmm. that it could change your life. It could save your life or that of your children. Absolutely. So there are child safety plans as well. 
Um, so they're, um, you know, even just the idea of, okay, here's where we hide a key or lock the door, or there's a stool here if you need to get up on the stool to get into some certain place. Um, and it's unfortunate, but it is a lifesaver. Yeah. Um, so we're getting a little bit off course with what your original question was, but you were asking about the red flags. Sorry. <laughs> so no, no, that's fine. And that's, that's, I did that by no. talking about safety plans. Um, so recent separation, um, that is a red flag, recent separation, um, or a threat to separate, um, anything that might cause the person who is abusing to want to tighten, um, the control. Mm-hmm. Um, Another risk factor is um, unemployment. Um, so this doesn't mean that people who are unemployed are automatically going to become abusers, but what it means is that there's more stress there and there's also more time, um, more preoccupation with the situation um, and what's going on, perhaps mm. emasculization, loss mm-hmm. of power. I think I already said that. Um, there's another kind of surprising risk factor, and this is actually on the danger assessment, is the presence of a stepchild in the house. Mm. And I think this factor isn't uh, very well understood, but it continuously pops up in research as being correlated. And it could have something to do, um, and this is correlated in um, male-perpetrated femicide. So this okay. the research is very specific. Um, and this could potentially be um, because there's, another man's child in the house so there's there's issues of um taking sides perhaps more tension in the home more possessiveness um who really knows but it's it consistently pops up there Hmm. um some of the other risk factors let me think through this um hurting children so child abuse as well um so when i looked back at um the friend I had had, what I knew about him, um, a lot of these things checked out. So he was um, living with his stepfather. So he was a stepchild mm-hmm. in the home. Um, he, um, we knew that he was afraid of his stepfather. We knew that because when he would, um, you know, come to parties or get togethers even as, what would that be, like 11, 12-year-old, 13. You know, sometimes the boys would get on their bikes and meet the girls wherever they were. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we would be at someone's house, and we'd be there having fun. And and I remember this one time, um, the mother of the girl's house we were at, she came in and she was like, is he here? Because um, his stepdad's on the phone and said he needs to be home now. And I remember how fearful he Mm. looked. Um, and that was something as 11 or 12 year old, like you get, you're like, Oh, he's really afraid. I get afraid that I'm going to get in trouble sometimes too, but it was fear and it was different enough where we talked about it after he Mm. left a little bit, but then we didn't know what to make of it because when you're that age, a lot of things don't make sense. Well, and if you don't experience Make any mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whatever he might have been experiencing you can't imagine it at or that to, age uh, yeah that it, that's even a, in the like i would never be able to yeah i couldn't fathom at 11 right. that that's what right. some people experience you right know? and um you know and when, when kids used to take class photos i don't think kids do that anymore they do they do yeah. okay well, mine don't yours don't mine are all like individual pictures yeah, that they then put on one sheet of paper yes Oh, ours do group. Oh, that's so cute. That's mm. so old school. Mm-hmm. It is. I like it. It's hideous yeah. and weird, and everybody looks unhappy, but right. happy. Well, it's th- great. Well, those are good because you Feels get American. It. Yeah, it's what it right. is. Yeah. Because it's not a good photo of no. everyone. No, no it's, it's terrible. It's, it's not a good point. photo of <laughs> right. anyone. Right. Like and no that's in the exactly how we should remember yes. life. Right. Groups right. are hard. Then, <laughs> yeah. I'm not a joiner. <laughs> right. <laughs> not a symphony people (laughs) sorry so he left and he was upset and you spoke about it for a minute and you didn't know what to make of it and then what else oh the reason i'm bringing up the class photo yeah um when i was looking through what i would call the evidence for this autoethnography i was looking through the class photos that i had i had my mom send me some and there's one from fourth grade where he has um a pretty massive black eye (sighs) in the photo wow and even though I was literally in the process of going through 
the evidence to write a paper about the red flags and how we knew this was happening, my first reaction was still, oh, I wonder how that happened. <sighs> and and then I was like, oh, man, yeah. like, how do you get, you know, black eyes are, I mean, it was like, it's like I was punched in the face by yeah. a man, you know, like he was, Aww. you know, it was, it was bad. Um, and I just think like, and he's trying to hide it, you know, he's turning his head in, in the picture. Um, and who knows how he got it. Maybe he got it, you know, fighting with his brother or whatever. I, he was not the type of kid that was, um, you know, he wasn't like a sports type of kid or whatever. And um, I mean, that's how my sister got her black eye. We tried to play sports. <laughs> so. But I hear what you're saying. and So there's still this level of denial is my point. Yeah. Um, that when we see, we can see the signs all around us and we still don't want to put it together necessarily, I think. I think we resist that. Maybe not. I mean. No, I think we do. Yeah. No, I think oh, we yeah. do. And, I think and we I'm sitting right do. here being like, and it's because of the patriarchy. The yeah. patriarchy's told us that no, families are good and right. dads are good and stepdads are good and everybody's trying their best mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. we're trying to, and it, that's not true. Well, the family is, we want to think of it as a safe place. Of course. But it's, I mean, and we know most child sexual abuse happens in families or with people that the child is known, that mm-hmm. strangers are not necessarily the people that we should be most afraid of. And that's a really depressing truth. But, you know, that's what the, the you know, facts will tell us. Mm-hmm. Wait, um, did you, I'm sorry, did you used a weird word, facts? facts? Where <laughs> is that like a... News, Not the new, alternate ones, but oh. the the ones. Is it I haven't Jesus heard one in a long time. I forget what those facts, are. Huh. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, <laughs> no, I mean it's it's huh. it's it's so it's impossible to sit here thinking about whoever this young person was, mm-hmm. and every story I've read in the news this week and the month before and the mm-hmm. month before that, and women being killed by their husbands while they're pregnant, mm-hmm. and oh, that's another risk factor. Um, on the danger assessment, if a woman um, was abused by her partner while she was pregnant, then mm. that increases her risk of yeah. homicide. Isn't like, um, I, I don't know the danger assessment, but isn't like if you've ever been choked? Choked is a big thing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something, I, I can't remember the exact number. I think it's 16 times more likely um, that you'll be murdered. Yeah, or near uh, a fatality or near fatal, fatality wow. mm-hmm. um, if choking was ever involved. Mm-hmm. And this is um, just because of the, um, again, not something that's fully understood, but the intimacy of the act, mm-hmm. um, getting that up close to a person. Um, most murders of intimate partners occur um, with guns. Yeah. And, um, and so that's another risk factor too, is having firearms in the home. Mm-hmm. And again, it doesn't mean if you have firearms. Well, it's, in the okay. Home. Look, right. it's not about the guns. Right. It's the people. <laughs> Sorry. That's sarcasm. I do think it's about the guns just to be clear. And also listeners. the people who have them. As, yeah. But as Eddie Izzard says, the gun helps. It does help. Yeah, yes, it, does. It, it does help. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. Well, the gun helps. Well, anytime <laughs> I say that in a class, especially in you know rural Indiana when I'm teaching classes, if I mention something about firearms being a risk factor, um, people do get that that's touchy. Salty. Yeah, and I say, the oh, it doesn't mean goes that up. because you own a firearm, you're going to be an abuser. But it means if you are an abuser and you own a firearm then the risk that you're going to kill your partner is going to be a lot higher because you have access to a tool right, mm-hmm. um, for that. But for men who um, have choked their partner as well, that's a really, really, um, it, it's a, um, Sorry, it's like a words. boundary that you've crossed. And once right. you've it's crossed an intimate it, act you've already it's, done that. The, the thing is that I think we, we as like normal people who don't, go around choking humans may not know um it takes a really long time to kill someone by strangling them with your bare hands unless you know what you're doing and then it actually doesn't take very long at all but most people don't know what they're doing (laughs) yeah well i mean that's they're police trained or military trained right but i mean like you're talking 15 minutes like it takes right it's a commitment no if you know what you're doing it only right but like like you're saying most people don't so i i I just it's something that i see in movies a lot of the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) and because i have a lot of stage combat training um (laughs) i've been told like it it 
it's not you can't just like I right like as someone who is not trained and doesn't have the ability mm-hmm. it would be really really challenging and take right. a very long gross horrifying amount of time to strangle someone like even with a weapon there was actually mm-hmm. there have been a few shows that have done a great job of dramatizing just how long it takes and how gruesome it is. Like you're saying what that is, is intimacy to actually want someone dead, dead that badly Mm -hmm. is, is deeply unsettling Mm -hmm. and psychotic. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. it it is. But I just, and and you're basically saying like, not really. And I get that. (laughs) Well, that's fine. And that's fine. This is the thing. You may not be as strong as, um, your partner. Yeah. So that is, part of the issue as well i'm not like well, he could probably strangle me in five right. that might be like that's where the patriarchy two comes minutes. in is that sure general there's a, strength differential typically yeah typically <laughs> a male partner is going to no, be stronger is that a than thing? his female <laughs> partner <laughs> yeah. i don't know if that's the fault well, of the patriarchy I, or I, just I think biology I, I was more so hoping <laughs> that's to a tool that men yeah have. no that's yeah. true they it's use women. their size their size and their strength the strength that mm-hmm. to use their as advantage. a weapon yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's all i meant good job. i was just Thanks. i guess hoping to highlight the fact that like we think of strangling someone as this like quick thing that is easily done and unless you're a ninja or a military officer mm-hmm. it's not like it's a sweaty disgusting i mean you have to stay in it and that to me is and you it's have to be, very different than using a gun. Person, you're yeah, looking right. right at them, mm-hmm. right? Like that is... I guess my question <sighs> about the choking is what you're saying is that someone who's previously been choked mm-hmm. may not be murdered that way. but They may not be choked to death, yes, but they but are that, at a higher risk of being murdered by their partner. The person that has right. choked them has already crossed that a, mm-hmm. intimate boundary. Mm-hmm. Crossed a line. And mentally, I think that changes things for the dynamic is that's kind or of just what what this person is willing to do right what exactly type of like, okay abuse. i've already gone that far mm-hmm. and then it's like you can go mm-hmm. further almost. and typically escalation is characteristic of the type of intimate partner violence mm-hmm. that is severe and that is most dangerous you'll see escalation um and that's another thing there's been some writing done some theorizing in the past about different types of intimate partner violence mm. um so there's a little light a, reading <laughs> yeah light reading actually i think i was reading that book on an airplane once and <laughs> i don't recommend it because then everyone next to you wants to talk to just, you about it and oh, i, I have was to thinking say, that would keep people from talking to you <laughs> no. well, people, nothing will keep people from talking nothing. to you on a fucking airplane good point <laughs> nothing and especially like if it reading a book that's like how to kill people yes. and they're like hey how's it go mein yeah. kampf <laughs> so how do you kill people is it is it easy is it a quick read Sorry, what's I that have book to laugh say like, what's that book say how do you do it oh my god i'm so tense did you I'm get that in, the, in the book shop i have a trade-in <laughs> i travel a is lot is it in the airport i'm from des moines <laughs> Are you from Chicago? I thought you were from Chicago. I have a daughter. She might murder people too. Is it? It's how to kill people. I'm going to put it on her Amazon. We have an Amazon. Do you have an Amazon list? We share one. I'll put it in my blog. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Janelle. We are are feeling feelings. We're balls deep in this shit. (laughs) So you were reading a book about killing. On the the airplane. Oh, um, <laughs> we do get off topic, don't we? Yes. Yeah, it's wander. super easy. It's we, how we roll. We seem like we might be smart, but really we're just ridiculous. <laughs> I do have to say the most common reaction whenever I've read a book about intimate partner violence on a plane, mm. which happens a lot, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> relatively, I guess, to yeah. other people <laughs> <laughs> who maybe don't study this topic, um, who also travel. But every time... <laughs> So really, it's just me, but yeah. when I do it. <laughs> so there's been more than one time where if a man is sitting next to me, mm-hmm. almost always, this is what they say. Mm. You know, women abuse men, too. <laughs> oh. oh. 
shit. Tell me some more about that, motherfucker. Is that the patriarchy defense mechanism? Yep. <laughs> is it? Uh, is is, is that it? What's going on? I've never seen a man treat a woman like that. Oh, cool. Tell me more about that. I love it cool. when men say, you know. Oh, I love just that. <laughs> just that. Mansplaining. You know. I was just going to say. Oh. Mansplainer man, of the plane. Man airsplaining or something. Plane-splaining. Plane-splaining. Man. Man's plane on a plane. Yeah. Like snakes on a plane. I'm on a boat, motherfucker. (laughs) Oh, wait. I'm on a plane, man's plane. I love that. God damn it. (laughs) So, what do they say? So, they say women abuse men too. Uh huh. Which is true. And do you Mm -hmm. whip out the facts and you're like, yeah, but no. (laughs) Well, usually I do start by saying just what you said, Kim. That's true. Mm -hmm. And, um, then I usually will. I I usually don't want to get into it at that <laughs> yeah, point. Really? Like, what? On an airplane? Like, yeah, do your oh students God. ever say that, though? Like, if your student said to you, women abuse men, too. Well, I've gotten to the point now where I sometimes lead with that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so it's anyone can abuse any other well, person. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's abuse given, is right? not it, an inherently male situation. thing. And that's actually something that's really important to address on this podcast because mm-hmm. The patriarchy would have us think that this is a women versus men thing Mm -hmm. and that we are casting all men as abusers and potential homicidal maniacs. And that's not the case. Um, There are a lot of ways in which you can abuse someone in an intimate relationship or otherwise. There are ways that you can abuse someone in a friendship. And Mm -hmm. I think we've all experienced that, Mm -hmm. right? Like just as woman on woman abuse, um, and I'm sure some of us at this table, right or wrong, whether we know of it or not, have perpetrated that mm-hmm. oh, uh, because that's that's part of what we're talking about. It's the human condition. You said that you were mm-hmm. fascinated by the human condition and you weren't satisfied studying that through books, right? And you I think that's so much better. Than I, said it. <laughs> I, I think good. that's literally what you said. Yeah, but, yeah, I but, do the, too, but the fact <laughs> of the matter is like we all have something to gain from exhuming these details Mm -hmm. and just having them out and about, you know? And and one of the reasons I'm grateful to have you here is because I think that there, yes, there is intimate partner violence that is married people, or, you know, if you want to throw quote unquote, poor people or disenfranchised people, I deal with a lot of college students as you do as well, as you also do, as you may. As you do that. <laughs> and also with you. And also, and also with you. Peace be with you. Oh. <laughs> we lift up our hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. That's another podcast. Sorry, this a long time ago. Yes, it is. We're going to do a whole like religion oh my oh my and the patriarchy series okay. where I'm I can ready. talk about all of my conspiracy theories. Let's do it. But for now, I want to talk about things like young women who don't think they're being abused who don't think it's that bad, who don't respect themselves enough, who were probably, fuck, I mean, I'm so old at this point, they probably don't even really know what happened between Chris Brown and Rihanna, but it's something (laughs) that really stayed with me and Mm -hmm. fucked me up and made me upset and still upsets me. Mm -hmm. The fact that this very famous couple got into an argument about who knows? We have a lot of different accounts. And he beat the ever-living shit out of her. Mm-hmm. And people excuse that away. Young people who don't know what things mean, right? And mm-hmm. that is, as you said, right? Like your friend left the party and his dad was upset. And you all went, oh, that's sort of weird. Moving on, spin the bottle or, you know, James Bond 007. I don't know what you're up to, but it was Light probably. A feather. You remember that? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> nice. It's uh, all Bloody Mary, of course. It's all like suburban pre-internet games. You weren't all sitting around texting each other from across the room. But anyway, that's fine. Um, what can we do? What can I do? Where can we point young women to teach them where the boundary is, what behaviors are not okay, Mm -hmm. what is actually oppressive or abusive or manipulative. Well, and I don't mean to interrupt before the answer, but also 
how do we change the conversation just in the culture? You but, know, we're 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 facing a time when a a lot of people are, even if they're being tried for crimes, they're getting like these super light sentences, the the Brock Turner type sentences. God where damn it! And and then this Bill Cosby thing, and it's just well, on I mean, and on and on. I and then the president of the, the United ultimate States. The ultimate question and, is, what do you do when the president of the United States grabs about? grabbing or brags about grabbing pussy right unsolicitedly like that's yeah and so it's not just it's not just like how do we teach young women what is enough but it's no. like how do we refocus the entire society and everyone right. in it right but <laughs> back, right. To, back to social workers trying to save the world yeah, yeah. exactly and for twenty eight thousand dollars a year right. but look that's, <laughs> we're so backwards <laughs> But that's too much. What it we is. can do if we have a few women who listen to this podcast who are younger than 25 is we can have hopefully a few people sitting out there. Hi, I love you. Probably you're my student or a <laughs> close friend of my sister's. <laughs> and I mean that and say, maybe you hear some of these behaviors and it can allow you to go, yeah, okay. I knew what's happening is wrong or I knew what my friend is going through isn't okay. How can I support her? Mm -hmm. Because yes, absolutely, Anne, we have to change the culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is important and I'm committed to it. And part of it is just naming it, Mm -hmm. which is what we're trying to do. That's what I want to do. So like what, Janelle, like you work with young people, what have you seen? What do you hear? What are what are the behaviors that you hear young women accepting or saying, well, no, it's not really a big deal that go, make you go, bah, no, not okay, red flag, in your own words. <laughs> well, I'm going to go back to when we were saying, we were talking about the definition of abuse to begin with. Yeah. And when we were saying everybody at this table has probably been abusive to someone in their life at some point, I can probably assume we were all abusive to our mothers at some point as teenage girls. Oh my if God. Was, just talking no, Sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. I was an about. angel. <laughs> Sorry, so if mom. you think of abuse as just treating someone in a way that you wouldn't want someone to treat you, yeah. then we have all been abusive. We've all done that to some extent. And really, this shouldn't be... Um, no one's perfect, right? Mm-hmm. But we shouldn't think of that as an acceptable behavior. Basically, it shouldn't be acceptable to be a dick or an asshole. Yeah. Or oh, we whatever control. you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, <laughs> law. Don't be a dick. <laughs> right. Who's law? Wheaton. Wheaton? Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know, the famous. Yes. I know. I know who right. he is, but I was just confused. Some, some people so might as know you're saying. what that is. <laughs> so Star I'm Trek saying, fans. if we're talking about abuse and we're talking about the most if we're talking about the highest level of abuse, which would be, you know, killing someone. Right. um, Of course, I guess there's worse things you could do to someone than kill them, honestly. But if we're thinking about something that gets to the level of that intensity, Mm -hmm. that's far removed, I think, from, you know, someone who sasses their mom or something. But it's it's the same thing along a continuum. It's not um, treating another person with kindness or respect. And that's a basic, that's just the basic thing. That's all it is. It's just, it's not treating a person with kindness or respect and letting that escalate and using the power and control that you have in an intimate relationship with someone to let that get out of hand. Um, and the reason that we see so much, um, male perpetration, female victimization um, is because of the patriarchy. Because um, if we're talking about power and control, then typically, not always, men and women will enter into a relationship where the man has more personal power than the woman, uh, more economic power, um, more political power. Um, And this doesn't mean that abuse doesn't take place in same-sex relationships. The numbers are actually pretty similar. Yeah. Um, and even if you look at female to male violence, um, those numbers, if you just record numbers, if you just record um, like a baseline, like pushing, slapping, stalking, however that's defined, mm-hmm. um, they tend to be pretty similar. So mm-hmm. in the um, CDC survey that's from 2011, 
one out of three women said that in their lifetime they had experienced physical or sexual violence or stalking from an intimate or formerly intimate, former intimate partner. And one in four men said the same. So that number is actually pretty similar. But when you look at intensity, if you take that out and look about um, people who have been victimized by intimate partner violence or intimate partner abuse and have experienced fear as a result or chronic pain or PTSD, which is mm -hmm. post-traumatic stress disorder, mm -hmm. um, mental health issues, um, hospitalization because of due to a physical injury, yeah. um, sexual assault, um, injuries that are resulting from sexual assault, those are much more prominent when we're talking about male to female violence. Mm -hmm. And right. that's why it gets more attention. And also this thing that's called coercive control now <sighs> in the literature, which is um, there doesn't have to be any physical violence. There could be, mm -hmm. if there's enough fear, um, there can be total control. Um, there could be one act or one threat of physical violence um, or threat of sab sabotage or threat against someone's children, whatever, that can um, basically give one partner the, the power to control another partner's um, whole life and whole being and well-being. Um, and that tends to happen more in male to female violence just because men already have that power and typically have the tools. And again, I'm speaking in tends to, because there's always going to be someone who says, but look at this case that was in the news, or look at my friend or my sister-in-law or whatever. And that does happen. And I don't, I don't mean to um, not recognize those things. Like, I don't ever want to do that. So I, like Ann was asking before, how do you address that? I almost always, when I'm talking to students about intimate partner violence, um, I'll acknowledge that up front, mm -hmm. that it can happen. Anyone can be an abuser and anyone can be abused. Mm -hmm. um, and that's important to know. But um, people come to a relationship with different forms of power um, already. And gender is one of those. So that's, that's where that comes into play there. So reproductive coercion, go. Stealthing. So what I is actually it? haven't heard this term. So. Oh, really? Yeah, it's so when it's when during the sexy time, the man takes the condom off stealthily, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I don't actually know how that happens, but I just have regular sex, so I don't know. <laughs> well, um, I mean, I I mean, I'm pretty aware of what is happening yeah, with the penis. You're grown up, and also like you. Maybe you're sober more because you maybe are more comfortable with your partner. So sure. I can personally envision some scenarios in which, oh, you, okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. But I, I, don't, I will I, believe but you. I, 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 I believe. But, but it's, Janelle, a, but it's a thing that where they take the condom off or have in advance poked holes in the condom. Okay. And it's called stealthing. I can't believe I'm educating you. Okay. <laughs> But just in general, reproductive coercion is a, is a way that people control others in a relationship, and I find that just interesting. And so I was curious. It's a it's a it's a long game. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's fucked up. <laughs> Sounds like something people from the GOP would do because they're like, "Ha ha, I won." Oh wait, I don't want to do any of the rest of it. Bye. <laughs> well, and also it's the kind of thing that traps people into like not getting abortions that they yeah, want or that's whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, <laughs> good luck with all of that. Yeah. Do you like the way we talk? <laughs> no, it's great. Um, typically. People assume that it's always the woman who wants to get pregnant and the man does not want the baby, mm -hmm. right? And so when we think about reproductive coercion and when I've talked to people about this topic, typically they'll, when I talk about a male being the perpetrator, it's hard for people to swallow that. Um, sorry. Somewhere. Like, balls deep. Balls deep. Balls deep. Um but it's something that came to the attention um, specifically of um, one specific physician who was working in reproductive health clinics, actually, um, 
she's in Pittsburgh now. Oh, um, just thought about that. Um, but she uh, was working in um, reproductive health clinics for teenagers and started mm-hmm. noticing that young women were coming to her asking for birth control. And then we're showing up a couple of months later and we're pregnant. And she was wondering, like, why, like, what's going on here? What's what's the disconnect? And then the more she was talking to the young women, the more she was learning that their boyfriends were pressuring them to get pregnant. And in a lot of cases, doing more than just pressuring them, but um, sabotaging their birth control or threatening them or making it uncomfortable for them to go to the clinic or to keep using the birth control, even in more severe incidences, um, you know, tampering with condoms or trying to pull out an IUD or things like that. Oh, my God. Gasp in the room. Ouch. Right. I don't know if it hurts as bad coming out as it I does don't going want in. to know. That's a Can you quickly tell the story about how you used to, how you once called it an inter-uterine yeah, device? It's, it's, a, it's an intra-uterine de- uterine device, but I called it an, an inter-uterine device once. And ever since then, Anne and I have had this fantasy that maybe it is an inter-uterine device and we can communicate <laughs> through our IUDs. <laughs> And Janelle will boxer me and she'll be like, I don't know if you heard from the interuterine device, but I don't know if your IUD has told you yet, but um, I got my bikini line wax today. Um, She was mad. You guys Um, have walkie talkies in your uteruses. Exactly. Because we both have IUDs. It's like a a Mm -hmm. soup can Mm -hmm. and a string. A string. Yeah. But it's an invisible string. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not really sure how it works. That's no, it doesn't job. matter. Magic is magic. <laughs> it's a tricorder. <laughs> you know. I just think that's funny. It's as valid as science these days. Yeah. Sure. Um, <laughs> Any minute now. Anyway. <laughs> it's going to be a thing. All right. So. so Reproductive we, coercion. So um, what, what she realized um, was that it didn't really matter what she was providing to the young women, but they were in a, a situation where they weren't, Um, able to consent. They were in something that was much bigger than what she realized. Um, So again, why would um, a man or a a young man want to get his girlfriend pregnant if she didn't want to be pregnant or a man to his wife, whatever. Um, And it could be because he wants children. That could be a reason, right? Or it could be again, we were talking about um, an imbalance of power Mm -hmm. leading Right. An imbalance of power in a relationship leading to um, the potential for abuse. And all of us here have had children, so we know what that does to us as women. Um, It really zaps your energy. It makes you super vulnerable. Um, All of those things. It's isolating in some ways. Um, So this was something that partners, some partners were um, engaging in essentially as a way to make their partners more vulnerable and also tied to them for life. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just another way to add that imbalance of power into the relationship. Wow. Mm-hmm. Is that an okay explanation? Yeah. yeah. That's good. That, that it's hit. just tra- like traumatizing. Yeah. In a bad way. <laughs> that hits right it's in the ovaries. In yeah. yeah. Wow. So actually, there's an app that friends and family members um, who are concerned about a friend can use. It's called the My Plan app. Yay. Oh, and if cool. you download this app um, on your phone, it's just filled with information. And there's a risk assessment on there. There's uh, resources in your area, tips for um, how to talk to a friend awesome. or family member. So basically just the guidance that you might need as someone who's just... Like, I want to give up. She's not listening to me. Um, so the My Plan app. My Plan. That's mm-hmm. awesome. And so you can God, go because to, it's so overwhelming to try and support someone through anything. But it, this kind of thing is, mm-hmm. it's just paralytic, the kind of fear that comes in. I'm right. looking at it right now, and it looks like it t- it asks you a series of questions about mm-hmm. your relationship in order to assess the risk. Ugh. And then it gives oh, you cool. some potential solutions as well as numbers to call for help and stuff like that. And nice. it has Great. a safety plan. Plan. So now uh, we just need one for fraternity brothers. Right. Mm-hmm. It can be like my frat, my plan. 
and I'm amazing at naming apps. <laughs> my friend. No, my no, friend. That's mine. <laughs> that's oh, your no. friend. Your friend. My friend. My frat plan. Mine only. My fat frat plan. Oh God. <laughs> this is filled with information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. It's filled. It has so much information because it's so fat. You can download the app from uh, the Apple Store or Google. Great. And uh, the first step is to download the app. The second is to help yourself or a friend. You choose which track you want to go on in there. Mm -hmm. And then there's the danger assessment, so you can look at those questions and and assess the risk. Um, There's a planning tool for safety planning and then resources. So this is all on an app. Technology um, for good. Yeah. Technology for good. I mean, and, and, you know, there are also so many organizations, I would imagine, in Indianapolis or, you know, I know here in Pittsburgh, we have Pittsburgh Action Against Rape. Um, there are places full of people who are ready to listen, who are non-judgmental, mm-hmm. who want to support, who want to help. Um, and help means a lot of different things. It doesn't mean step in and end something. It doesn't mean intervene in a way that's going to jeopardize a friendship. It just means help. So listening and being there can be the, the biggest um, resource just to um, provide a sounding board, even if you're not necessarily providing advice or saying you need to do this, but um, letting the person talk, you know, get yeah. it off their chest without mm-hmm. judgment. Um and understanding that this is a lot more common than probably um, we realize mm. and taking the shame out of it. When you say that, what do you mean? Do you have any numbers or statistics in terms of? Well, the, um, the CDC statistic is that one in three women have experienced yeah. physical or sexual assault or stalking from an intimate partner. And that doesn't include abuse. That doesn't include asking about the lipstick no. or, yeah. um, you know, calling someone a slut. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be psychological aggression, I believe, is the category it would be under if we're going to operationalize it and collect data. Well, I mean, and <laughs> that's what we're which we to are. Do. But, yeah. well, and, uh, well, but also as a professional, like... What is what is the difference? You know what I mean? Like if you have somebody that's consistently psychologically aggressive toward you and mm-hmm. physical and throwing things and what have you, like you should feel safe in your relationship. Mm. You can feel discontent in a relationship and that's one thing, but if you feel unsafe and that doesn't mean just physically unsafe but Mm -hmm. if you feel like you're in a relationship where you can't express your opinion or where Mm -hmm. you can't say something because you're fearful of the outcome Mm -hmm. and that it might sabotage you or um, lead to a outcome that makes you feel bad about yourself or question you know your um, core worth or you know then, then you know it's it's you're not in the right place. Okay, wow, it's been light. Facts. It's been good. <laughs> Feel good about it. Yay. I unburdened like mm. they do on the path. Okay, super um, interesting. So it was, yes. we're gonna um, skip the Shiro mansplaining etc. Mm-hmm. of the show, and we're just gonna thank you for tuning in and say that. We hope wherever you are, whatever you're going through, if you need any assistance with anything that you are eager to come to our website, search our resources, reach out to us, reach out to anyone you know that you feel could help you. But honestly, like we're real people. We're right here. We're on Facebook. We're on our website. Janelle's a real human. Um, And we don't want anyone to live in pain or fear. So come find us. Uh, us by the way is me kimberly parker green i'm on twitter you can find me at k parker g Anne is on twitter it's true i'm at a i'm at avon wall 
Janelle, are you on Twitter? I'm not. Okay. Good well, she's you. a professor at a university. She's Ball important. State. Hashtag she's balls deep, deep in professor. State. <laughs> uh, Dr. Janelle Fowler. Emily is not on Twitter because nope. she's super important because she's producing. <laughs> I'm too busy. But we're she all, runs our website and produces our she's podcast. She's the <laughs> bad bitch queen. But uh, know that we're all here. We love you. We're grateful for your listening. We are hopeful that all of these conversations are germinating and helping you to think and pause ways and we would love to hear your questions comments ideas for future episodes etc on our facebook page the patriarchy hurts everyone dot com <laughs> dot org. all right the bomb dot oh com. fuck dot org it's way more important we are dot org because it's we're way more feeling uh, but you know, like find us, we're like around, and we love you, and we do love you. This is some deep shit, and it's some real shit. Yep. So Janelle. give yourself a big you, hug. Thank you, Thank you for Thank having you me on. so much. Come back. Yes. Yay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>